Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am so pleased to have Mark Ireland on the show. Mark is co-founder of Helping Parents Heal and the author of two books, including the groundbreaking Soul Shift, Finding Where the Dead Go. His father, Richard Ireland, was a renowned 20th century psychic medium who counseled Mae West, Glenn Ford, Amanda Blake, and the Eisenhower family. Mark has participated in mediumship research studies conducted, conducted by the University of Arizona and the University of Virginia, and he currently operates his own certification program. Mark's program's objective is to identify high-caliber mediums capable of furnishing specific, accurate, and pertinent information. According to the Winbridge Research Center, highly evidential readings can provide a therapeutic benefit to grieving persons. Welcome to the program, Mark. Hi, Marla. Great to be here. Yeah, it's so great to great to have you and I just love your your work with the mediums because boy if you have someone who is um I'll say good for lack of a better word can make all the difference in the world just can turn your life around. I know it's happened for me. Yeah, I think that there's a real need there or was a real need and continues to be uh after putting my books out I had a lot of requests for uh, recommendations. And some of the folks I knew that were bigger named individuals were very gifted. However, they had long wait lists and some of them charged more than the average person might be able yes. to afford. So I saw a need to kind of, I figured, you know, there might be other people or should probably be other people out there that, that are just lesser known or unknown. And through a testing process could be identified and uh, added to a list that I could uh, provide as a resource to people. And now, you know, I've certified over 25 people in the last five and a half years. Wow. So I have found that to be the case. And uh, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Um, because It is a lot of work. And I know your program is very rigorous, which is as it should be. I think also, just for the listeners that have never, you know, been to a medium, it can be so profound, even if, even if you're not grieving, you know, because it brings up just relationships and maybe settles things that were not settled when, when, you know, everyone was on this earthly realm. And it's just, it's such a a great experience. And even if it's not what someone would call a great reading, usually it's just because either that person doesn't remember or, you know, the symbolism is a little bit different. It just, so I encourage people to read, read a little bit more, you know, about about that. So tell us a little bit about about your journey. First of all, growing up and your father was this famous psychic. What was what was that like growing up with a dad like that? 
it was normal to me. I know other kids were fascinated. Um, actually, most kids weren't skeptical. Uh, it's more the adults that were skeptical. The kids were fascinated and wanted to meet him and wanted to know more and wanted to hear stories and things. But it was just kind of common for me, for our father to know what was going on all the time. And then I saw him in public demonstrations, both at his church. He had a kind of a non-denominational, a very open type of a church. And, um, but then also in public venues and even in nightclubs later on, he felt like his main mission there was he wanted to open people's minds who had never set foot in the church um, to start thinking maybe on a deeper level. Wait, you know, maybe, maybe there is more to life and to consciousness than just physical reality. And I think he succeeded in that based on all the responses and emails I've received from people around the world over the last 20 some years, uh, some of which are really mind blowing. <laughs> but yes, I know that he yes. touched and helped a lot of people. But just in our daily life, it was knowing, hey, dad's pretty much aware of everything you're doing. Um, he said <laughs> he would try and let us get away with stuff, but I think you know he stopped more things than he would admit to, um, especially my older brother, who was almost 10 years older than me, he was a teenager during the time frame when he was kind of stopped from uh, drag racing or having somebody who would uh, buy him beer when he was underage and things like that. But uh, <laughs> And your dad knew that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would be yeah. you know, pretty much anything and everything. And, Interesting. Yeah. Well, and you took a more con conventional path until um, your son Brandon passed. Can you just briefly tell us, tell us a little bit about that and how it started you on this, on your own spiritual journey? Yeah, I think, you know, I always had a spiritual side to me, but I wasn't yeah. maybe balanced as I should have been and maybe too focused on, you know, the worldly gain and recognition in the business world and all that kind of stuff. And I started my own family. Um, so when I, I went to college and my dad supported that, he actually wanted me to be a lawyer. Um, and I, you know, took the political science degree path, uh, thinking I was going to go to law school. But then I got married pretty young, just had barely turned 21 and thought, oh my oh, I need to get a job. You know, I can't spend three more years in law school. And then it turned out that I went into the business world and and it was a good fit for me. I did well there. And then, you know, we were just raising a young family and um, went along. And years later, uh, 2004 is when Brandon passed unexpectedly. He, I had been gone the week prior um, through Friday, came home Friday night uh, from a business trip and um, said hi to Brandon. The next morning got up and he had mentioned that he was going to go on this hike in the mountains behind our home in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I had an odd feeling about it and um, even felt kind of a presence near me that felt like it was pushing me to try and keep him from going or, or not necessarily keep him from going, but notifying me in some subtle way that this could be bad. And I tried to talk Brandon out of it, but he was 18 years old and I just thought, no, I'm, I'm just worrying too much about nothing. Right. Um, but later that day, we were gone on the other side of town and lo and behold, I got some emergency calls and um, had to go back, um, rush back. And by the time we got to the base of the mountain, there were hordes of spectators, fire truck, ambulance, and even a helicopter. And we found out shortly thereafter he had passed. So that was kind of the, the thing that shook me into, you know, looking at this again and being more engaged in it and, ha and becoming a more balanced person, I would say. Um, right. Really, the, one of the first things that happened was just days after that, I spoke, now my father had passed by this point in time, but I had an uncle 
in Tucson who had similar abilities. And um, I just asked him if he got anything, if he could share it with me, I'd really appreciate it. And it was a couple of days later, I was in the mortuary and I connected with him by cell phone. And he told me that, you know, he had tried the night prior to meditate and couldn't get anything. But that morning he woke up and my dad came to him and um, had conveyed that he was there when Brandon passed over um, and helped him adjust. Brandon was a little confused at first about what was going on. Um, and that Brandon wanted to relay to us that we were the best parents he ever could have had, which is what you'd love to hear. But along with yes. that, he gave us a cause of death before um, the autopsy was even done, and it, it proved to be exactly correct. So that was the, really the first strong validation, and that kind of spurred me to really go on this path of discovery and reopening, I guess, the annals on <laughs> the kind of work my dad did and looking at people who were doing it um, in the modern time you know, at that, at that point in time and moving forward to today. Right, right. Wow. Well, so sorry about Brandon. I, I certainly understand that, that journey. And well, you can relate. That you've done such amazing, yes, I can, um, such amazing, amazing work um, since then. And so tell us a little bit about your work with mediums and psychics other than your uncle um what 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 if you want to give us a couple of examples of you know what were some of the profound you know experiences you've had with a couple of mediums or how you just started you know down that path well sure early on and uh so brandon passed in january of 2004 and then it was february just a month later i was watching a news uh piece on channel 12 which is the nbc affiliate in phoenix it was showing this um, research being done at the University of Arizona at the time mm -hmm. where they were doing double-blinded test readings with mediums and the medium they showed in this was Alison Dubois who at that time hadn't become famous yet because the show medium had not yet come out on NBC but I was really impressed with the information she shared how specific it was and how it wasn't just some sort of simple thing it was more complex kind of hits that seemed to be right on the money and it showed the sitters and how they were separated from her. And I just thought in my mind, boy, I would love to get a reading from her sometime. And I would love to be right. in that lab as a test sitter someday. And the very next day I get a call unexpectedly from a man named Jerry Concer out of Dallas who had been a friend of my father's. And he said, Hey Mark, I know you've been through a lot. I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois. Oh, wow. You, here's a phone number you can call to set up a reading. So I did that, but even though she wasn't really famous yet, she was, you know, well known um, by people as being exceptional. So it took me till August to get the reading. Um, and that was really, um, I think that was the second one I had, but it, it was early in the process. And she had some outstanding hits and I was very clammed up and I came off as an engineer to her personality was <laughs> her husband was an engineer. And I think just because I was trying to really protect I didn't want her to know anything really about me or about yeah. the situation. Um, and all she knew was she had heard that my father was a psychic and that was it. Um, but she had some pretty profound things. You know, one thing that she had was, um, you know, my father, she says, your father's here and he's, he's sharing a book. Um, and it's for you to take on. It's his book, but it's for you to take forward. Do you know what that means? Well, just two weeks prior to that, someone out of the blue had given me a manuscript that was my dad's manuscript that I didn't even know about. He had been holding this for 12 years and um, it was called your psychic potential, a guide to psychic development. 
And I said, well, why are you giving this to me now? And he goes, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. So that was a pretty phenomenal. Wow. And then um, in terms of my son, she said she felt, you know, um, like his chest, like he uh, was drowning or something, our son. And he, he died of an asthma attack, a severe asthma attack that the physician had described to me as being uh, a case where the lungs are trying so hard to get oxygen that they expand and almost meet in the middle. And that only happens in cases of drowning or extreme asthma. So, you know, she picked up quickly on that. She also had congratulated us on our 25th anniversary um, from our son. And it was just two months earlier, our 25th anniversary. Um, she shared some other things about um, names. Um, um, she named my, my wife's name and um, also my brother's wife's name and some, but there was a number of, of significant hits there. Um, and then, you know, then if you fast forwarded about until February of 2005, I got, I actually was pulled down to the University of Arizona to participate in a mediumship uh, test reading with Lori Campbell that was blind, double blind. And uh, so she didn't know who I was or anything about me. And that was actually recorded for a Discovery Channel feature. People could see that on their website if they're interested. It's only a couple of minutes long. That's markirelandauthor.com. But um, during that, uh, Lori, you know, in those conditions without knowing who I was, um, basically accurately described Brandon's cause of death, saying that she couldn't breathe in her chest and she felt like she wanted to throw up. And as I alluded to earlier, it was a severe asthma attack that took him. And his best friend who was with him at the time said he did vomit just before he had passed out. And then, and that was the last, you know, um, that he was physically awake uh, just before that point in time. So those were pretty strong. Um, additionally, she would, uh, Lori was asked by the researcher, what would identify the deceased person to the sitter being me? And uh, she said, well, I feel like the person that's here sitting behind me, uh, maybe, you know, writing about the deceased person, maybe writing a book about him. And I was working on Soul Shift at the time, so that was very poignant and touching. But outside of those, those were a couple of the early ones, but I've had quite a few since then, and I don't get them very often. I don't feel the need. I've had kind of my own connections too. And yes. even the mediums I know will volunteer things to me that are fun and touching. But I'll give you a couple that are pretty uh, extraordinary. One um, involved Molly Morningstar, who's a friend of mine uh, out of uh, Wisconsin. And she was visiting us in Scottsdale. And it was just five months before my older son, Stephen, was to get married. So this would have been uh, 2014, January. And uh, Molly said, hey, you're putting me up at your house. I'd like to give you a reading. And she started out by sharing some validations about my mom and some other things that were, that were on target. But then she said, um, Brandon uh, is really excited about his brother getting married. And he is the real best man. Now, someone can stand in for him. That's fine. But he just wants you to know he's the real best man. Uh... She said, and, I, and I think at, during the wedding that Stephen's going to wear like a pin with a memento in it. Like, I think it'll be a picture of Brandon and he'll wear that on his jacket and he'll be in a very nice suit, but it won't be a tuxedo. And so fast forward five months later, the day of the wedding, a couple hours beforehand, one of the groomsmen comes up to me with a gift box. And he says, Mark, this is from Liz. She couldn't make it out to the wedding because it was a destination wedding in France. That she wanted you and the groomsmen and Stephen to have this. So I opened the box up and inside were a bunch of these little 
um, pictures of Brandon with <laughs> pins on them that you could pin to your jackets. Stephen did wear a nice suit that day. It was not a tuxedo. The other thing she said back in January was, uh, remember 2 p.m. on the wedding day. Well, it turned out at 2 p.m. on the wedding day is when Susie, my wife, was told about this. Wow. So in on the wedding photos today, we still have that, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Another one that I think, which is in my second book, Messages from the Afterlife, that was really touching to me was Tina Powers, who's a friend of mine now and an exceptional medium in Tucson. I was dragged to her house by somebody else who had made a reading appointment, and she took me there wanted me to meet Tina and sit in on her reading and I ended up flipping over to me and Tina's like, I, I really feel this is for him today. And so she gave me a lot of unbelievable verifiable information. But the one thing that touched me most was she talked about, um, she brought through my son in a way where she actually spoke in the style and intonation that he would make talking about somebody who I'd had a little riff with or whatever. And he said, she didn't get it. She didn't get it, Dad. And the way she said it was exactly as Brandon would have talked. So that was very touching. Yes. And, uh, another one, I guess, one of the best pieces of evidence that I can share uh, is in the first chapter of my second book, Messages from the Afterlife, and it involves Deborah Martin, uh, who lives in Scottsdale. And at that time, on that particular day, I was scheduled to go visit her because I was about to, I was actually in the editing process on my dad's book, because I was getting that published, the one I'd mentioned earlier, because when I received it, it was just in a box, it was all eight and a half by 11 pages typed. Um, Debbie had felt there was something important my dad was conveying to her from the other side about this book, the importance of people approaching this for the right reasons. And so I was working on a forward to the book to kind of express that. And I'd also stumbled upon a one page um, uh, write up that he had done years earlier called To the Would-Be Medium that I really felt brought through, you know, seriousness of this and how people should look at this as a sacred gift and it's for the right reasons, not personal gain or, or for ego or things like that. So I was scheduled to meet with Debbie to go over kind of the ideas for this forward. But, er, but that morning before I went to Debbie's, I got a, um, somebody had told me that a, a coworker in Sacramento, California's brother had been killed on a motorcycle accident and that she was really despondent and wanted to talk to me because she knew about, um, you know, my first book, Soul Shift, and had read that. And I couldn't get back to her right away because I was tied up. Um, but I saw she sent me an email before I left, and I said, I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Just hang tight. So I called her. Her name's Linda. And I called her on the drive to Deb Deborah Martin's house. And she had just conveyed that, yeah, your, her brother had been on a motorcycle. He had been hit by a car and killed. He died instantly. Um, but really, that's all I knew. She didn't share anything else about that. She just said she was in a really dark place. And so I, I said, I'll call you later. I, I've just got to somebody's home and I'll, I'll touch base with you later. So when I came to Deborah's door, I rang the doorbell. She came out. I said, it's really ironic that I should be here to, at your place today, a medium's house, because someone that I work with, her brother just died. And, uh, and that's all I told her, that her brother had died. And she said, well, it's no accident because you're supposed to be here and I'm supposed to talk to her. I said, okay, do you want to call her now? And she goes, no, let's cover what we were going to do first and then, then we'll put out the call. So um, I came in, we sat down and, and chatted for a little bit, kind of went over the book and what we wanted to accomplish with the forward. And then I said, would you like to call her now? And she says, well, I don't have time because I have to pick up my daughter from school, but why don't you and I sit down 
and uh, just see if I can get anything and bring him through. So she sat in one chair, I sat in another. She had a pad of paper and a pen. And she said, uh, do you know the name of the brother? And I, I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, um, how about the sister? I said, Linda. And then within just seconds, she says, well, this involved a, a motorcycle accident and, and that he was killed. He wants her to know that he died instantly and he didn't suffer any pain. He also wants to bring up a red ribbon or banner that I think probably went over his casket, I, I think. And, um, and he mentions the, the little kids, something about the little kids and something about baths or a bathtub. Um, and then she mentioned a few other things. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, she agreed to do a reading for Linda over the phone later in the day, but I had to get back to work. So I got back in my car. I called Linda back as I was driving back to my office and I just brought this up. You know, the fact that, you know, first off, I knew that her brother had died in the motorcycle accident and died instantly. The fact that Deborah shared that without any way of knowing, um, right. you know, Linda was blown away. And then I brought up this red ribbon. Uh, over the casket, she says, oh, yes, uh, he had motorcycle buddies who had bought this red banner to go or red ribbon to go over his casket as a, a memorial for him. And then when I said the little kids, she said, oh, there, you know, he had some children that we watched. My husband and I watched for a while because I, he was he was going through some issues with drug um, addiction. And so the children went and stayed with her and her husband, you know, for a period of time. And they in fact called exactly called them the little kids. And the thing about the bathtub, she said, well, their favorite activity was bath time and they would have water waters in the bathtub. So that was significant. <laughs> and there were some other things wow. like that that she had shared with me that I had no way of knowing if they had relevance, but they were all relevant. And then mm -hmm. later that day, the two of them got on the phone and uh, Deborah had correctly identified that his favorite food was pizza thanked her for having the, the music changed at the funeral service come from country Western, which they were trying to play that he hated to hard rock, which he loved. Um, and a number of other things. So that yeah. was pretty remarkable because, you know, when you get that third party communication and things, I don't know, you can't even allege telepathy with me because I don't know anything about this. So it, it really was a, a, an astounding set of validations from Deborah in that mm -hmm. case. So that's detailed in my second book, Messages from the Afterlife. Yeah, wow. They, and even just a few, to have just a few of those is so, is so validating. And it kind of reminds me of talking with um, Jeff O'Driscoll and Jeffrey Olson about the shared death experience. You not knowing anything about, just kind of to um, relate those, you're not really knowing anything about telepathy and you were kind of the outsider with Jeff O'Driscoll, you know, being the, uh, the doctor who was totally healthy and having that experience with Jeffrey Olson. Um, that's just really profound. So, so Mark, I know that you have really dove in to studying science and consciousness and spirituality and how they all kind of interrelate and you you studied the string theory and so i'd like to hear a little bit about that and i'd also love to hear when the soul shift happened first of all that's a great word but you know the shift doesn't happen right away as we well know so can you just talk about those things a little bit? Sure. Well, I'll take the second one first. The title, Soul okay. Shift, actually, how it happened was 
the publisher wanted to come up with a title that I hated. It was Ghost Souls, Finding the Dead. I tried to think of different names and things, and I wasn't really getting anything. But one night I went to bed, and I woke up at 4 a.m., and it just popped into my head, Soul Journey, no, Soul Shift. Soul Shift, yeah, that's it. And that's where that came from. It was just kind of intuitive thought of Soul Shift as being yeah. the title for this book. And... Um, and I looked at that really two ways, having double meaning, really a shift in me that took place, the catalyst yes. for the second half of my life um, with this more balanced life and, and a spiritual focus in addition to the other parts of my life. But then the shift that my son's soul made in transitioning from this physical realm to the next realm. So right. um, that's where that title came and, and kind of what it means. And, you know, I had already talked about, you know, my son's passing being the catalyst yes. for my shift. And everybody has their own thing that nudges them. Hopefully it's not always as tragic a situation as that, but oftentimes it is something startling and painful that people go through that makes them um, change their direction in life or focus on something that I believe or strongly feel is maybe guiding them toward their life path, the reason that they're here and the things they need to accomplish for their own soul growth and possibly also to help others while they're here. Um, as far as the science, let me put it this way. Um, I'm not claiming to know anything or be like a theorist or can say with any certainty, like this is how consciousness works. That would be folly for me to try and say that. I've just looked at this from a lot of different angles and there are things that I resonate with. I think, you know, really the core message that I would convey here is that, you know, I think we've been brought up in kind of a secular society that's viewed consciousness as a byproduct of brain activity. And I don't agree with that. And I think there's a lot of instances and things that kind of disprove that or falsify that theory that consciousness is primary. It is the basis for everything and, and the material world and everything has evolved from consciousness being first. Um, some of those are examples of near death experiences where uh, people have information um, that they're able to share things that they observed while their brain was completely shut down. One example I use is um, the story of Anita Morjani, who while in, um, in a state near death uh, was out of body and heard a conversation between her husband and doctor that was down the hall from her physical body. So you couldn't allege that even if she had any kind of activity, which she didn't at the time that she would overheard this and remembered it, but this was well down the hall from where her room was and detailed information about basically the doctor saying your wife looks like she's going to pass away and, and a lot of other specific information that when she did come back proved to be true. So I think there's a lot of near death experience type things like that, that that show, Hey, you know, the brain isn't generating that there's clearly something else going on here. And, and even mediumship cases like the one I just shared, you know, how could, this person conveyed that kind of specific information, Deborah, uh, from something that even if you believed in telepathy, which is pretty well proven, it's not telepathy with me because I didn't know those facts, but yet some intelligence conveyed that to her. So I think those were instances that kind of convey that I think point to consciousness not being a byproduct of the brain. Brain's clearly engaged in the process of our physical life here and the things that we do, but I think it's, it's more makes our experience more specific to this world and that things we're supposed to experience while we're here 
where outside of that, when you hear people with out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences talk about an expanded reality, sometimes where they have 360-degree view, they see more colors, they, um, they feel like they have much more knowledge. So it almost seems like it's a sifter down, something that restricts, constricts us more to be bound to this world. And maybe if we knew, you know, what it was truly like not to be restricted that way, more people wouldn't be patient enough to live the rest of this life here, you know? Very true. Yes. Um, I think it's important for certain people to be able to look at it analytically and also look at a lot of the research that's been done back, you know, going back to the early days of the Society of Psychical Research, uh, the Duke Parapsychology tests that overwhelmingly show the validity of telepathy through the experiments they've done. More recent uh, research by Winbridge on mediumship studies. Also, uh, my friend Tricia Robertson in Scotland with um, Professor Archie Roy did some uh, tremendous work uh, studying mediums over there uh, on behalf of the Society of Psych the Scottish Society of Psychical Research, which is tied to the London-based SPR. Um, and then the Vir University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. There's a yes. lot of different work. You know, they they've done you know reincarnation research, near-death experience research. Um, they've done uh, some mediumship studies too. So people should take the time if they're you know analytical. If they need to, if they have kind of a show me attitude, I would suggest they take the time to look that up. And there's a lot of that information in my second book, Messages from the Afterlife. I really tried to condense that and make it you know, readable for people so they can look at some of the best information or the best evidence without having to dig all that up themselves. Right, right. And it is definitely very readable and it's so, it's so interesting. And another website at my interview, Dr. Eben Alexander the other day and was Galileo, Galileo, it's .org or .com where some of the um, most recent scientific studies and, and evidences is also, and also there's a segue is these two and three year olds and one year old talking about past lives and choosing parents and meeting relatives in heaven. I will use that word because I like that word. You can use whatever word you'd like, um, you know, before coming into this, this earthly realm. And I, I know your dad told you a story about when you were, what were you two or three? Three Can years you just old. Briefly share yeah. Three years old. As far as that, you know, the story with my dad, I don't obviously don't remember at this stage, but I was <laughs> three years old, I think. And we were driving down uh, the freeway in his car. And back then they didn't have seatbelts or at least they weren't common. Right. That tells you how old I am. And, uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was leaning against the door, the passenger door. My dad said, hey, Mark, I want you to scoot in. You know, I'm afraid the door might open up and you'd fall out. And I said something along the lines of, yeah, and if that happened, then I'd be broken up into a bunch of little pieces and I'd go back up to heaven with the angels, but they would make me come back here again. And then he started quizzing me on, well, have you been here before? And I'm like, no, many times. And he said, well, how old were you the last time? And I said, so I'm 80 some years old. And, um, did you have any brothers or sisters? And I told him how many I had. And, and he asked, um, um, how, did I die in the war? And I seemed, you know, like indignant at that question and said something like, no, I just, I got old and died. Um, so um, 
it's it's interesting to to see those kinds of things. Obviously, he had no way of probably validating the things that I'd said to him. But you know, like right. like we talked about the the people that have researched that found many cases where there was an opportunity to do that digging validation. Yeah, there's one yes. I think currently that there's YouTube videos on the one about the young boy who claimed to have been a World War II pilot. Yes, yes, James Lenner, I think his name is. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty strong one. People might want to look that up and watch that YouTube if they. they Very much so. And if you are interested, my first two interviews, my very first, were with Carol Bowman, and she talked a lot about those. She worked with um, Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, and so um, that was interesting. So that brings we have to wrap it up, but it brings the question, um, or begs the question for me is that our very young, if only, how do you think it, it, do you think, and if yes, how do you think it would begin to change the world if not only did we validate when they talked about these things, and I'm sure your dad validated you, but many times children are not, you know, it's imagination or you're making this, are you, there's no way that could be. And at Brown 5, usually they stop, you know, they stop, talking about about these sorts of things and if a child was taught from a very young age that you know if let's say their dog passes and they're not just gone you know they can still talk to them or or sit and close their eyes and just feel that energy of love and teach children about signs and synchronicities and maybe even have a little altar of the you know dog and talk about funny stories and connecting and do you think it would would help i mean i believe it would really help children to grow up more living in love versus fear not just about someone passing but just about what the meaning of life what what is this really you know what is this really all about well first off i think it <laughs> the reason we're here is really the simplest reason of all, and we make it the complicated, but it's to learn to love more completely, to learn yes. to be empathetic, to learn to be compassionate. And to, if we focus our life in that direction, we'll have a more fulfilling life and we'll complete what we came here to learn and do. I, I think, uh, unfortunately, this model of us being just meat robots and not being um, a spiritual being and just being, you know, this biological machine has been very damaging in many ways. And it's not anything that's provable anyhow, but for whatever reason, science has gone there. And I think it goes back to the 17th century battle with religion. Once they broke free from that, they don't want to go back. And even right. any allusion to spirituality to them is like going back to religion, even though they're really two different things. I think, you know, the problem today is that, you know, that's commonly accepted without being challenged on one hand. And then, you know, Formal religions, on the other hand, have given kind of a, a, a version of the afterlife or, or a possibility of it that's not clear to people or doesn't make a lot of sense. So exactly, I, I kind of look at the evidence. What do we have as evidence? We have a lot, you know, between the, the near-death experience research, the, uh, the children who experience past lives, uh, the mediumship research, and so on. Give us a lot of evidence. And, you know, the message always is these near-death experiencers come back and they always say it's about love. It's about learning to love more completely and more fully. And um, I think if you have 
a nihilistic view that's very negative and like life is meaningless and chaos, that's led us to a lot of the problems I think we face in society today. Yes. And uh, it's unfortunate. And if, if we were able to shift that and say, you know, life does continue and, um, you know, and, and have people look at the evidence and, and be open to that and shift toward that way of thinking, I think that we'd be a lot kinder to each other, uh, especially since I believe, you know, we're, we're accountable and responsible for our actions in this life. And if people thought that way, maybe they would be a little kinder and, and more thoughtful about how they treat other people. So I think that's it's a very valuable thing that you're talking about doing and, and maybe teaching children at a young age, um, not dogmatic principles, but just, you know, in a general sense, hey, there's more to this life and we all are here for a while in a physical way, but there's more to us that carries on. And because that person that you love isn't in a physical body anymore, doesn't mean that that relationship stops or that love ever stops. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, like I said, we need to, to wrap it up, but I did want to let our listeners know that um, you have, um, and I want to thank you, you have agreed to let us put in the show notes a letter from your father to your grandfather. And I would just like you to speak on that briefly and the significance of that letter to you. Sure. I'm glad you didn't ask me to read it because I'd start crying. <laughs> I know. I have it right here. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because I got that letter. It was in my uncle's possession. And when he passed, um, my aunt found it and gave it to me. So I was just thrilled to get it because my uncle had alluded yeah. to it earlier. And essentially, my dad didn't have a great relationship with his father. And he grew up during the Depression. And it sounded like there, my, my grandfather may have been very rough on my dad. Um, but you could tell from this letter, and my dad was, I think, 29 years old at the time he wrote it. His dad was in the hospital dying of cancer, basically. And he had drafted this letter to my grandfather to give him comfort and really explain himself to my grandfather and why my grandfather shouldn't fear death and look forward to what was about to happen to him and the hopefulness and who he would soon, you know, how the process would, would go and uh, who he would see and why. You know, he kind of compared the different people in the world, like the doctor thinks this, the scientist mm -hmm. thinks this, and the minister thinks this. And he says, you know, in the end, the minister's right. And he says, I've been privileged to experience this connection with people who have passed and share very specific information with people who are still here on the earth that's been very healing and helpful to them. And, and this is real. Um, and I know it and I live it. I just want you to know that so that you aren't in fear or concern. Uh, when, you, when you leave your body and you look back at this decrepit body you're leaving behind, you won't even think twice about moving on. And that's right. kind of the message of the letter. But I would encourage people to go ahead and read it. It's, it's very compelling. And I think it shows how heartfelt my dad was and how, right. you know, I think you couldn't have him write anything that would get, lend any more legitimacy to the reality of what he did than the letter he wrote to his own father. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm just going to um, read a, a few sentences. Um, I don't mean to minister to you, for how can a son minister to a father? It's only that I want you to know, as I know, that the minister is right. I have no means to convey to you the experiences I've had with life after death but to me, it's real. 
I couldn't teach others to believe something I didn't know or was in doubt about. I didn't get my proof through any school or someone else, not even in the logic of man's survival, not even the logic of man's survival satisfied me. And by some grace of God, I was privileged to know for myself by actually talking and seeing those who have graduated into a higher school. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on today. And if people want to find you, how would they, how would they do that? Just go to my website. It's markirelandauthor.com. That's Mark with a K, right. Ireland like the country, markirelandauthor.com. And when they get there, there's also links to, if they want to see like that Discovery Channel video or any of my other interviews, um, there's links to them there. There's also links to the Helping Parents Heal website. There's links to my Certified Medium website. And there's links to a, a website that honors my dad and has some videos of him. I did want to mention the wonderful organization, Helping Parents Heal, that you co-founded with Elizabeth Boysen. And it's a, it's a beautiful group to, to help parents who've had a child who has passed. And um, you work a lot with, with mediumship. And it's, it's just a beautiful beautiful group. So I want to want to thank you for that. Sure. And you know, we're just the only, really the way we got big and why we're growing so fast is we're the only group of our type that allows the open discussion of spiritual experiences and afterlife evidence. We're not pushing any philosophy or specific religion or dogma of any kind. We just ha we're just open to allow people to share their experiences. And that's really right. what it's about. It's providing an environment where people can feel safe about sharing what they've learned or seen or experienced. Um, and so that's really what's had it caused us to take off. Yeah, it's just a great group. And talk about the love, love in that group. Wow, you can just feel it when you walk into a room. Well, thank you, Mark. And you have a wonderful day. Stay safe and really appreciate you coming on today. Sure, Marla. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.